0: Hello, hello, and a very warm welcome to the Steps to Investing podcast, your home for stock market news and ideas to help you beat low interest rates and high inflation by getting you investing in the stock market for a better return. I'm Marcus De Silva. And welcome to episode eight, I think it is, of series four. We're going to be speaking to award-winning journalist Cherry Raynard today about her article in the latest Get Investing magazine. You can find that on our website at stepstoinvesting.com. It's totally for free, I may add. And sh- what she has been doing is looking at different forms of property as a way of investing to beat inflation, which I'm sure is on all of your minds. And before we get into that conversation, we're going to have a little look actually at what the latest inflation reading is and, and the reasons behind it and have a look at some tips as well regarding pensions because we had a little chat with AJ Bell's analyst, uh, pensions analyst Tom Selby. We're also going to be having a little look at what investors have been buying and selling over February in terms of their their fund purchases and and sales we're also going to look at what central banks have been doing uh more recently regarding inflation uh, in the market section and then in companies we've got a few different stories there including elon musk's latest big bet and just as a final little reminder please subscribe to the podcast and send it on to anyone who you think might be interested in, in keeping up to date with the stock market and, and learning the latest. Okay, let's start with inflation. And what we saw here, so the latest reading of the Consumer Prices Index has come out, which is released by the Office of National Statistics. Um, and it's a the CPI is a, a big, broad basket of goods and services. And it's a way of sort of tracking where prices are relative to history, so that we get an idea of how they are rising or, you know, maybe even falling, um, uh, kind of on aggregate, but then also in sort of individual um, sectors and in parts of the market as well. Um, So it's, uh, you know, very important way of sort of keeping an eye on inflation. And the latest reading of CPI for March, from where it was a year ago, so Where prices are in March 22 versus where they are in March 21, it's 7% higher on aggregate. So uh, clearly quite high inflationary reading there. And there are, you know, the reasons for this we've spoken about a number of times on the podcast. There's been supply chain issues as we've sort of coming out of COVID. And as parts of the world still are actually, um, you know, in lockdown and, you know, so there's just various issues kind of in supply chains globally. And and this is causing a bit of a, a restriction around the supply of goods, but also in commodities and, and energy as well. You know, energy in particular um, because of the war in, in Ukraine and sanctions that have been placed upon Russia, which is a big global supplier of of energy, so we're seeing sort of big spikes there. In fact, in just March alone, so just in the month of March, we saw petrol at the pumps rise by twelve p per litre, and diesel by eighteen p per litre. So it kind of crushes any of that help that, that Rishi Sunak was trying to give us by by cutting um, cutting the the tax on that. Um, uh but you know sort of going back to year on year figures we can see certain areas like supermarket food is up 5.9 percent clothing is up 9.7 percent household stuff equipment is up 10.4 percent so there's some so it's sort of it's lots of different parts really that we're sort of seeing these these price rises and unfortunately you know that's not going to change anytime soon it's this month that we now as we start to see bills sort of land on our on our doormats that that we see the big pinch of the energy cap price cap lifting um so when we see the cpi figures next for april i think we're going to see even more of um of a, of a shock in that really so um yeah i don't think the pain's going to go away for the, for the moment but what we did was we had a little chat to Tom Selby, who's the pensions analyst at AJ Bell, very knowledgeable chap, just having a little look around tips around pensions, really. And he, and he, and he made some very salient points. I think if you're younger, he said, one of the things that was quite wise is to resist the temptations to cut back too much on, on your pension contributions, even though you're sort of feeling the pinch today and you might want that extra cash today um and i think the thing to to think about here and the reason why is because you know that that little cut now has a big impact uh, a a lot longer down the road you know that long time that you have in the market and, and and all that that power of compounding over that period of time means those small little cuts when extrapolated over longer periods of time can have a very real impact on the value of that pot and therefore your lifestyle um, right at the end of that journey, really. So, um, you know, and and, it, and it's the best way to, to also stay ahead of inflation is being in the market. So, you know, if you can resist those cuts to contributions, it's probably quite a wise idea. Um, if you're, so that's if you're sort of younger, if you're a bit nearer nearer retirement, and and you're sort of thinking about what you're going to do you're going to take an annuity so that's a guaranteed income stream or you're going to think about drawdown where you just draw on the pot um, as you sort of see fit then then higher inflation just sort of just change the playing field a little bit because if you're planning on taking an an annuity then you need to really de-risk your whole portfolio um, so that you have it so you have a you know the a, a secure pot of cash to then go and buy that annuity really so that that if you're doing that then then uh, as you approach retirement you need to be moving your portfolio into safer assets like safer bonds or cash and of course those are under particular threat of inflation right now so it's just a con- kind of consideration there if it's draw down the advantage that you have is that portions of your portfolio May need to be safer, but other portions are going to be invested for a longer period of time, so they can stay in some of those riskier assets that have a better chance of fighting against uh, the effects of of inflation. Really, and then I think at the you know the moment of retirement as well, if you're looking at drawdown and thinking about hikes to that stipend, just considering how those adjustments might impact the the time that that money will will stretch over. Um, and whether or not there can be cost savings that can be made elsewhere in, in, in your sort of budget. And then I think if it's the annuity that you're considering, considering um, uh, building in some sort of inflation protection uh, into, into the terms of the contract, might be quite a wise idea to ensure that those payments keep up uh, with any, any sort of inflation that comes through. Okay, let's move on to fund purchases. So the Investment Association is a big trade body that sits above most of the industry. And they release figures showing what different investors have been buying into. So the types of funds like assets or geographies, uh, strategies uh, that they've been buying into versus the ones that they've been selling out of. So it gives you a good idea of trends of sort of where investors are Moving their money really, and they the latest figures uh, show what investors have been doing over February, and uh, quite interesting stuff really. Very broadly, we saw that 2.5 billion was taken out of funds over that particular month. So we had a little chat with Laith Caliph, who is our investment guru from uh, AJ Bell. Um, and it, to, to sort of provide some insight of, of you know, w- what's been going on under the surface there. And he said it was quite interesting. When I mean, a very large chunk of that, 2.4 billion, so most of it really, was was withdrawn from bond funds, which is the largest withdrawal in that area since the start of the pandemic. And it's mainly because of rising interest rates and inflation. So those two things make... The fixed rate of payment that you get from a bond become increasingly unattractive. The higher they go, so those assets uh, are, uh, tend to be sort of dumped as in, as inflation and interest rates go higher and higher. So also because you know central banks as well, they're scaling back how how many bonds they are they are buying. Uh, and this is known as quantitative easing and they've been doing it for a very long time really ever since the financial crisis in order to to keep interest rates low and support the prices of those bonds so that big those big buyers i mean we're talking very very large buyers trillions in total um are suddenly not doing that so there's that plus the fact that other investors don't really want them is is obviously it's not a great environment for for bonds really but of course we do need bonds in our portfolio it balances the risks of having shares which are a lot more volatile riskier asset class um, but it, it's just something we have to be aware of really in in bonds there is this risk that's been there really in the asset class ever since the financial crisis um, and and now it's sort of beginning to to, to show itself. Um, so, um, it's a difficult one, but we're definitely seeing, yeah, that scaling back of, of allocation to bonds. I think surprisingly UK funds saw another 1 billion of withdrawals in February. Um, and it's surprising because actually it's a market that's been holding up quite well, uh, in the environment that we're in of inflation and, and, inter- and higher interest rates. And that's because some of its constituents have, have, have been doing okay, um, uh, off the back of that you know like BP and shell is a good example who who have performed very strongly because of higher oil prices so there's there's a fair few companies in there that that have have benefited in that environment so it's a bit of a surprise that investors still don't really want anything to do with it and actually what investors have been doing is buying the dip in. US markets so over the past sort of six months we've seen certain parts of the market, um like technology really sell off and and they and those shares being sold quite quite aggressively and, and the values dropping quite a bit and that's because they are what we would we would call higher growth companies they've got a lot of profits that tend to be promised in the future and when interest rates go up then investors value those companies lower basically they when interest rates really start to climb quickly the investors don't tend to like companies that have a lot of profits that are promised in the future. They kind of want companies that have profits today. So it's a kind of technical way in which these stocks are analyzed as to why then we sort of, as as, as interest rates go up, we see selling in certain parts of the market. And, and the US market is stocked full of these kind of high growth companies of tomorrow, really. Um, so, uh, it, it, you know, on aggregate, the, the U S markets had sort of dropped quite significantly, but actually what investors have been doing is using that to buy into the U S market, which is, you know, it's not an unwise strategy. So we see, we saw that, um, North American funds had 588 million pounds worth of inflows. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, it, it's sort of, sort of interesting there. And I think. The thing to consider, though, is that when a market, but it's still pretty highly valued. OK, so when a market is kind of highly valued, it will be very sensitive to what goes on with interest rates. And um, so I think that's the thing to consider, really, with markets like the S&P 500 is that, uh, you know, great, great to get into the U.S. stock market. U.S. companies are, are fantastic, but uh, it, it is it is vulnerable to to. Uh, interest rates sort of going up but also maybe being being hiked quicker than expected as well so that's something to consider there i think the other thing that was quite interesting in the data was that 2022 actually hasn't been a great year so far for esg funds which have been very popular in 2021 um you know we're only two months in but the the run rate on sales appears to be about half of what it was last year so um Uh, Responsible funds saw 670 million of of inflows in February compared to an average monthly inflow over 2021 of 1.3 billion. So, yeah, it's about half there. So, um, uh, you know, probably not a bad result actually against sort of a backdrop of poorer sentiment overall this year. Um, But, you know, I think what investors are reacting to really is, is... some some heightened uncertainty as as we've sort of seen things like inflation get a lot higher and 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 geopolitically as as Russia is, has shown its hand to be quite aggressive, um, and and invading Ukraine. So um, you know, uh, um, interesting interesting stuff there. Okay, let's get on to markets, and I think the big story is over the past couple of weeks really is how central banks have been reacting to ever higher reads of inflation, as we saw in the UK. The latest CPI reading obviously rising from 6.2% in February to 7% in March, so that's at a 30-year high, and in the US it's risen to 8.5% in March, so that's a 41-year high, so sort of around um, you know across the board really Um, and of course it raises the question in investors minds of you know how much are central banks going to move on on interest rate hikes really if it's done too quickly then it could really just choke off this economic recovery that we are still very much in as we as we continue to emerge out of out of covid really Um, and you know the, the issue as well is that those interest rate hikes might not help that much anyway because, you know, a lot of the problem lies in stuff that can't really be controlled by interest rates like the supply of goods, you know, sort of being held up in places like China where where lockdowns are still rife. And I think um, Shanghai has only just emerged from quite a, quite a strict lockdown um, or, you know, because of rampant energy prices which have been stoked by sort of for self-inflicted reasons, really, namely the sanctions um, on Russia as a result of the war in Ukraine. So um, so there's some question, as you know, how much is it, is it really going to help? Um, nonetheless, central banks have to be seen to be moving on this because part of, of inflation is in the psychology of it. Um, and, um, and we've seen that sort of around the world. So we saw surprise moves from central banks, um, including the Bank of Korea, and the Monetary Bank of Singapore as well. We saw the Reserve Bank of New Zealand basically putting no punches in, in, in its monetary policy moves and it pushed up rates by 0.5% instead of the 0.25% hike that, that was generally expected there. And Bank of Canada as well did the same thing, um, you know, hiking their rate by 0.5%, which is its biggest single move in over two decades there. Be interesting to see what the ECB does. I mean, it was a um, day of recording. It, it there was a, a policy statement that was due. Um, so, it'd be interesting to see what they do. And then I think from the Fed's perspective as well in the US, the Federal Reserve, uh, what we're seeing markets expect is actually two 0.5% rises, one in May and also one again in June. Really, um, so big moves from from central banks uh, around the world to really try and tackle this this issue of inflation. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what effect that has. In the US, we're also seeing some of those growth areas that I said had sold off, like tech having a little bit of a recovery. Um, uh, I think there was you know, potentially some, some feeling that, that some of those expectations around interest rates, which had led to a big sell-off, had, had maybe been overbaked into, into, the, into the sell-off. So, that, so that's why we're seeing sort of a bit of a pullback in some of those stocks and then recover a bit. Also, uh, it's earning seasons there. So that's when companies start to report their profits. And uh, JP Morgan kicked off things a bit negative, really, by reporting a 42% drop in its profits. Um, and it was basically saying, you know, deal making at the investment banking arm um, has dropped. And I think I saw something similar from Goldman's as well. Um, and, you know, this is because of just uncertainties in the market, really, and, and whipsawing um, around prices there. In the UK markets have been okay uh, off off the back of some of these higher inflation reads, um, and I think it's because, as I said, we've got certain constituents, certain companies within within the index which are which are actually being boosted by some of these higher prices. So on balance, it's kind of um, you know keeping keeping the market on an even keel. We also saw Wizz Air bounce quite nicely as higher holiday volumes seem to be coming through. In Asia, stocks are trading slightly higher um, as sort of Beijing's authorities indicated this week that they may add some more economic support given that they've had this, this really torrid outbreak of, of COVID there and they've had to have um, you know, quite severe lockdowns, etc. So it looks as if they're going to they're gonna come in there and, and, and offer some support. All in all, over the two weeks, S&P 500 is down 1.85% to 4,447 points. The Nikkei 225 is down 2.33% to 27,172. The Stock 600, that's the European index, is up 0.48% to 458 points. And the FTSE 100, that's the UK's leading index, is up 0.86% to 7,580. Okay, let's get on to our final section and some company stories before we get on to our interview with Cherry. Let's start with Twitter. It's very interesting to see Elon Musk coming out with uh to Twitter's shareholders with a takeover offer of $43.3 billion or $54.2 cent per $54 and two cents per share. And it comes, you know, after an interesting few weeks really, we heard that that Musk had you know, a few weeks back, that we heard that Musk had, you know, been building this um, large uh, shareholder stake, basically since the fourteenth of March, and uh, that he'd got to nine percent, um, which which had sent the the shares soaring. And um, it was yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing, really. Its CEO first of all came out. This is Parag Agrawal came out and said that Musk was going to join its board of directors. And then Musk said the following after the weekend, he said that he wasn't, having reviewed the business in a bit more detail. And what had emerged was that he thought that the business was actually being stifled by its current management, which must have put their noses out of joint. And um, its position as a public company wasn't really great for it. So, uh, you know, he thought it had significant value, um, which is why his offer was you know quite a premium really above above the share price it would it basically represents a 54 percent premium above the share price that he started buying the shares at. and he wrote on Twitter Twitter has extraordinary potential I will unlock it so he kind of thinks that he can buy the whole company and sort of take it private and and do some things with it that will unlock a lot of value basically in a further twist, he's also being sued by the current shareholders as he exceeded the 10-day notice period that he needed to give the SEC, so that's the Securities and Exchange Commission, the regulator in the US, which he's had loads of arguments with already. Um, it exceeded this 10-day notice period that he needed to give them because he had built a position in a company that that represented more than 5% of it. So they're the kind of rules. If you build a, a more than 5% position, you need to tell the SEC See within ten days, and he didn't do that. I think it took him like nineteen days or something. So once again, he's sort of fallen foul of the SEC rules, which he's done before. It's why his um, his tweets have to be checked. Anything, any tweets to do with Tesla have to be checked by a company lawyer before he's allowed to tweet them. Um, so um and this was following some sort of big statement he made about taking tesla private and you know and he secured funding etc on that and he and he really hates this this kind of um uh this process that's been imposed on him so um yeah just an interesting another little battle there that musk is is having with the sec but it'd be be interesting to see how this sort of plays out with twitter there's there's a lot more things that need to happen before any deals kind of signed on the dotted line but um you know, in principle, given that premium. Yeah, interesting stuff. Tesco next, and we saw that they have reported some profits, and, uh, you know, four-year sales were up 3%, which was pretty good. Some COVID-related costs had dropped out, and its bank, Tesco Bank, was doing much, much better. So overall, its operating profits were up 58.9% to 2.8 billion, which was much higher than they guided, so plus there. But it also has been guiding about profits in 2022, and it says these are gonna be lower. And that's because it's sort of decided to go down this very competitive route. And you know a lot of other supermarkets, you know, we saw that food was one of those areas that's, that's, that's experiencing inflation. Um, so they're all putting their prices up. And actually what Tesco has the ability to do, given its scale and size and the strength of its finances, is actually use that period of time to try and eat into the market share and and be quite competitive. So the way in which it's doing that is, yes, it's got some input costs that are going up, but it's raising prices slower than its competitors and later than its competitors in the market. So it can just gradually start to eat away at some of that, that market share. So whilst that affects its profits obviously in the short term, Hopefully, as then everything recovers and, you know, we, that, that cost inflation starts to go away and, and um, you know, the economy starts to recover and we move out of some of these more near term problems that it should be able to then perform very strongly off the back of that. So it's a good kind of long term strategy. But of course, it always sends share prices down um because you're basically saying look we're gonna we're gonna take a chunk of those profits and, and really hand it to our customers so um yeah interesting stuff from tesco there and final one from uh just some of the airlines really as i mentioned wizair uh had has been soaring <laughs> after it said basically it will fly 30 percent more capacity in q1 of this year than it did in 20 pre covid levels in 2019 and also 40 percent more in in q3 as well so really ramping into those summer months really so that's it's good stuff you know the chief executive initially said that the invasion of, of ukraine had dented demand but now it seems that they are um that the numbers are returning and, and people are really wanting to go on a holiday really and and get into europe so it's one of those short haul carriers that has has benefited there the other one is, is EasyJet. you know they're reporting similar sorts of combat conditions they're saying that people are are booking late but that numbers are surging beyond where they were at this time in 2019 so that's that's pretty good and you know and the companies managed to wear some of these issues that it's had because of Omicron it had really affected the business and and staff shortages and they had to cancel some flights but actually those were kind of to be expected and Easter has been been pretty good really so some welcome relief I think for those airlines you know, they were some of those those companies that were really affected by the pandemic, completely killing all of its pretty much all of its of its income. So um, they'll be pleased to to be seeing that that customers are coming back um, not to mention as well. They've had other other headwinds, you know, the, the soaring price of, of fuel has meant that it, it's also really uh, impacted them, too. So I'm sure those numbers will be yeah very welcome. Okay, let's get on to our interview with Cherry Reynard about her latest article in the Get Investing magazine. Now, of course, many of you will be thinking about ways of trying to stay ahead of inflation given the cost of living crisis that we are so viscerally feeling at the moment. So we thought it would be really useful in the latest mag to address some ways of staying ahead of inflation. And of course, there's no perfect answer. There's a few different factors involved as to why certain investment assets can withstand inflation better than others. Nonetheless, Cherry Raynard, one of our brilliant journalists, has written a very interesting piece that looks at property in its various guises as one option to combat this problem. So, Cherry Raynard, welcome.
1: Hi, Marcus. Good to be here.
0: So, should we start with just the bigger picture with inflation? What's the problem here?
1: Well, I mean, it was already, there was already a lot of inflationary pressures building um, and it was coming from this, there was lots and lots of demand as we were coming out of the pandemic, as the economy sort of revved up again. And then there were lots of supply chain problems. I mean, really just getting widgets from place to place. Um, so, you know, that was that was meant there wasn't a, as much availability of stuff. And so the price for stuff goes up. Um, and then, of course, the Ukraine crisis has has come on top of that, um, which is leading to supply problems for energy and agricultural commodities. Um, so that is, and all the uncertainty around that is pushing up prices there. So it's it's really been a a kind of perfect storm for inflation. And you know, now the Bank of England is predicting. I think it's sort of seven, 8% inflation over the next few months. And, you know, there's a chance it might go even higher, you know, if, if the tensions in Ukraine escalate. I mean, it's, it's pretty miserable. Mm,
0: okay, so we've kind of got a, a, a bit of revenge spending going on after, um, after COVID, and then and then sluggish supply chains, and then the issues with Ukraine that's kind of specifically pressuring certain assets that feed into our into our um essential costs i suppose um so yeah that's, absolutely. that's this perfect storm okay and um i mean is it is it something that's going to go away anytime soon or do you think inflation will will stick with us for a little bit longer
1: it, it's it's really difficult to say i mean the the um the US Federal Reserve, the US Central Bank, was initially saying, oh, this is transitory. It should be over by, you know, the second half of 2022. It's now stopped saying that. Um, and, you know, I think really thinks it's gonna be, uh, you know, persistent. I think this this very high inflation, it will definitely start to ebb by sort of the end of the year. Um, However, I think it's pr- it's likely that inflation will remain structurally higher. I mean, really, we've just lived through this period of, of super sort of benign inflation. And it, you would say possibly that was the exception rather than the rule.
0: Yeah. And of course, we had these, we had forces like globalization, which I think um, was was a downward pressure actually you know it it was not quite deflationary but it was disinflationary it was it was um uh you know something that was was part of the reason why over the past 10 years we haven't seen it being particularly strong um but as you say you know um it was that the exception because i think what we might experience now is as supply chains start to want to be a little bit more resilient off the back of of covid and i think as some businesses are thinking about potentially the impact of climate change as well they're wanting to sort of build a bit more resilience in supply chain so that that doesn't sound like globalization is something that's necessarily going to continue in a big way so so i think that could be quite inflationary too
1: yeah i i'd really agree with that i think you know you you've had this thing where people are just sourcing the cheapest product you know wherever it is in the world and and so you know you obviously the obvious example of that was all the all the kind of manufacturing cheap consumer goods out of China. But, you know, that doesn't look like a great idea anymore. Um, and I think, you know, people are trying to localize supply chains and bring manufacturing closer to home. And, you know, there are advantages to that, but it um, is it, going to push up prices, um, which, you know, is what inflation is all about.
0: Mm, Of course. Okay, so let's get on to some of the assets. I mean, why is it that some assets are better at protecting against inflation than others?
1: It really comes down to the cash flows. It's basically some assets can push up their cash flows in response to inflation. So, you know, with something like um, shares, you know, you're owning a part of a company. In theory, you know, if that company is experiencing higher input prices, it can charge its customers more um, and and, and offset that inflation. And that should be reflected in the price of the shares. So therefore, shares historically have provided more protection against inflation. Um, The contrast is, you know, fixed income, where you've got a you know, which is essentially like a loan where you get your money back at the end and you get a, a, a fixed interest rate all the way through. Um, and the trouble is, you know, that interest rate doesn't change. So if prices are going up by ten percent, but you're committed to like a one percent um, interest rate for you know ten years or whatever, suddenly that really doesn't look as valuable, and it will kind of push the push the prices down. So it really depends on whether the asset can increase its cash flows in order to sort of deal with inflationary pressures.
0: Okay. And so that means in terms of if we're going to pick out an asset that really doesn't do that well in in an inflationary environment, as you say, fixed income, or in other words, bonds, is this something that we, is this an area of the market that we should really avoid?
1: Well, I mean, yes. (laughs) The slight nuance is that, Everyone knows that about bonds now, so so prices have come down and yields have gone up, which is kind of the way bonds work. But the um, but yeah, in theory, it's it's just a terrible asset to it, you know, and cash as well. You know, if you're getting one one or two percent on your savings, and you know the the prices you you know the price you're paying for your gas bill or that that kind of thing is going up nine or ten percent. I mean that's a, that's a sort of real terms loss and and you know it's a, it's a disaster for your for your wealth really.
0: So I think that's it any of these so if we're looking at cash so any savings account anything that's quite risk free I suppose in that respect plus any bonds that kind of have this fixed rate of interest um, these aren't looking so great given that inflation is probably much higher than any of those rates of interest so the real return that you're getting is is negative really so the value of of those investments will probably be going down in real terms
1: yeah absolutely yeah um and you know obviously there's been lots of volatility in the stock market recently and and you know that that relationship isn't perfect either there will be companies that that can't push up their prices that that don't have pricing power um and you know obviously there are also inflation linked bonds uh which will move up with um you know with with higher inflation but you know the general rule is fixed income and cash bad and you know stock market good in in a in an inflationary environment
0: okay um and you're right i mean there's a whole there's a there's an area of of You know, we could look at shares, uh, and as you say, there is there is a bit of a um, a a mixture in the market in that some. Companies do better than others, depending on yeah how much pricing power they they have, as you say, and and therefore that ability to pass on cost. So, but we're not going to focus on that because I think we have actually talked a little bit about that before in the pod. We're going to focus on property, um, which is of course what your your article is looking at. So, uh, you know, property is quite a wide asset class, I suppose. Is all property good at inflation protection?
1: Well, I mean, it's it is actually. <laughs> quite a thorny question. Again, it's, it's not totally straightforward. So essentially, usually commercial property is quite good in times of inflation. And that is because inflation usually comes about as a result of lots of demand in but you know, because an economy is thriving and there's lots of demand for goods, which is pushing up prices. Um and in that kind of environment. Landlords can push through rate increase, uh, rental increases, um, and it's really easy to do that. So it can protect you against any inflation. This time, it's slightly more complicated because it's all about, you know, it's it's more about the inflation. is more to do with supply problems. Um, so actually, you haven't got lots and lots of demand in the economy, um, which allows landlords to push up prices. Um, That said, (laughs) some parts of commercial property really can put up prices, you know, are booming. So things like industrial property and warehousing and, you know, because that's all linked to the e-commerce, the boom in e-commerce. So they they really can push up prices and they're seeing quite quite strong rental increases. Um, However, if you are the landlord for a, sort of I uh, don't know quite how to put this nicely but you know a second rate office building um in a sort of non-prime location you're really going to struggle to put up your rents right now in fact you might well be struggling to even find tenants because of all the changes in the in the way that the world works you know and agile working and 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 work from home and that sort of thing so so again it <laughs>
0: depends right okay so if we are looking at commercial property then uh, from what you're saying it's more in the prime end of the market where again there's there's that kind of ability to to put up rents because there's there's plenty of demand but there are parts of the market which you think it where that's less able um so what sort of investments would you would you look at then in, in the commercial property space what would be a good thing then to find those that the right sort of commercial properties
1: well i think i mean there are some very skilled commercial property managers out there who are very aware of the nuances in the market and um who are quite skilled at, at sort of maneuvering their portfolios to the right um uh, you know, the, the right sort of assets. Um, so, you know, someone like the property team at Aberdeen, for example, are, um, you know, they've been very um, good at sort of going into industrial property, but also sort of improving the assets so that they, they're sustainable. Um, so they offer things, you know, things that people really want, like solar panels on the roofs or, you know showers so that people can s- cycle to work and and those kind of things and you know so it's it's sort of maneuvering to those 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 assets that whether where there's where they see real demand of course the other big area and actually i would say offers much better protection against inflation is infrastructure um which it's all, it, which I mentioned in my article.
0: Okay, so just before we get on to infrastructure, you um, you mentioned the Aberdeen team there in the commercial property space. Was was there any specific fund that you you might suggest uh, investors have a little look at?
1: Well, there are. I'd say there were two, and they're both kind of diversified um, funds. So so they're kind of go anywhere funds. So the managers have a lot of choice about where they invest. So. The Aberdeen, because of the various mergers and things, the Aberdeen Fund is actually called the Standard Life Property Income Trust. Um, And that's been pretty good. I think the TR property team are also also hugely experienced and really have done well through some very difficult conditions. Um, And also they, they look well positioned. I would, another nuance I would add is that I would avoid open-ended property funds like the plague. I would always, for commercial property, I think you need to be in an investment trust because these are huge. I mean, you think about how long it takes to sell a, um, you know, a normal home, and you can imagine how long it takes to sell a commercial property Mm -hmm. building, you know, the shard or something. And um, so... You know, you can't really run on funds with daily liquidity. I think I think you have to be looking in the investment trust sector.
0: Yeah. So just um, sort of to explain that, and you, so you get open-ended funds, which are the majority of the market, and closed-ended ones like investment trusts. And um, mm-hmm. open-ended funds just concertina, you know, um, get larger and smaller depending on on the sort of demand for its shares and um there's been this mismatch really with the the fact that you've got a very illiquid asset like a you know a property within a fund that then allows as cherry said this sort of daily dealing and, and it to sort of expand and, and contract as it kind of needs to so the problem is is what happens when an awful lot of people want their money back and you can't sell the assets in order to to sort of do that and give them their money back so um yeah there is a big yeah, a big question mark over really any any type of investing strategy that is in very liquid assets. You know, should it be in a in a structure like that or in an investment trust, which is what we call a closed pool structure? It's a it's a closed um, amount of assets, and then its shares are traded separately on an exchange.
1: Yeah, and and you know they've the the commercial property the open ended commercial property funds. I mean, actually you know, asset managers are now starting to close them um, because, uh, mm. because I think they've, they've realized the problem and, you know, they've been shut mm-hmm. for long, long periods of time, you know, and investors can't get their money out. Um, and, you know, there are some reasons for doing that, but it's, uh, but it's annoying if you're an investor um, <laughs> and, you know, and actually investment trusts have, have a better track record as well, because you, I mean, you think about it, if you're forced, if you get a run on a, on an open end you know if you suddenly get lots of redemptions and you're having to sell a big asset to meet those redemptions Mm. you're probably not selling at a price that you really want to sell at and you know if that if that happens repeatedly over time that's really going to knock your performance so again
0: yeah 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 i see what you mean to protect (laughs) the current investors is why they soft close them because as you say usually and usually at the point when people want when lots of people want their money back it's usually when markets are um are heading downwards and yeah so of course that's naturally going to be a bad time to start selling assets because you're selling into a down market yeah um, so uh yeah I mean uh, that's an interesting one if any of you got questions on that then do please um, send me an email at Marcus at steps to investing.com I'd be interested to see if any of you have had um, a, a problem with that with that um, particularly but anyway let's move on Terry uh, so you said next then infrastructure um, was 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 quite an interesting option to look at do you want to do you want to just explain what this is first and then and then it's sort of inflation protection
1: yeah sure I mean uh, I guess the classic infrastructure investment is things like toll roads, bridges, schools, hospitals, and, you know, the infrastructure fund will own the asset and it will get the revenues from that asset. So, um, and quite often, you know, and those revenues are usually contracted. So they, um, and there will be inflation linking in in those contracts. Um, and they're often, you know, if you think about a school or a hospital, that's coming from kind of the government, so, or local authorities. So, it's um, it's, it's pretty secure and you're getting these inflation rises. So, it's you know, it's, <laughs> there's quite a good link there. Um, more recently, I think there's been a big, and this has been a big thing in the investment trust sector, is this sort of green infrastructure um, and I th- you know, I think those are really interesting as well. They's, they're kind of, they're building, you know, wind and solar plants or battery storage and things like that. And you've, you've got to believe after, you know, the crisis in Ukraine that people are going to be, that governments are really going to be looking at the way they source energy and the security of that energy. And you can really see that sector just attracting more and more attention and becoming more and more important.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think the figure because you know the government has a, a target, a net zero target of twenty fifty that it wants to achieve. Achieve that, and I think just by twenty twenty five alone, there's a uh, twenty five point five billion pounds of of uh, money that's going to be spent on in in sort of green mm-hmm. endeavours. So um, yeah, you can just see this is, is an enormous area that's going to attract. A lot of capital both private and, and I suppose public um, okay so in, in terms of maybe the broader infrastructure idea that you've got there w- w- what sort of recommendations have you got in that area
1: well you get I mean there are some huge sort of well-established trusts like 3i infrastructure that have been you know doing it a long time <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. you know have good solid assets um and, you know, will be the first to any deal, basically, you know, it's kind of, um, and then there's, I think it used to be called HSBC, I can't remember, but anyway, it's called HICL now, H-I-C-L. And, you know, that's another of the big, solid infrastructure trusts, you know, nice dividend, uh, regular cash flows. It's, you know, it's just chugged on through all sorts of, um, ups and downs of the market and this kind of thing. I mean, it's it's like a the workhorse of a portfolio. I would have said.
0: <laughs> okay, and then in the green infrastructure space,
1: these these are really. I mean, these are these are new trusts, lots of them, sort of coming to market. Um, so uh, you know, and I'm I'm in no way suggesting that um, the managers are finding their feet, but I think that you know investors are sort of you know, trying to work out exactly how they how they work and that kind of thing. But um, the other interesting thing about the inflation side of it is that not only do these um, trusts have cash flows linked to uh, that are sort of contracted and inflation linked, as I talked about before, but also a lot of them will be supported by subsidies, which are also inflation linked. Um, Now, subsidies have gradually been phased out, but, you know, the earlier trusts still have these subsidies in place. So they're sort of getting a double whammy. And also some of them are, um, uh, you know, are linked to the energy price. You know, they're they're providing energy. So energy prices are rising. So they're getting higher. So, I mean, it's it's a triple whammy. but I'd say good trusts in this space are things, so on the solar side, you've got Next Energy Solar, Foresight Solar, Bluefield Solar Income. Um, and then you've got some sort of diversified trust that invest, you know, renewables infrastructure trust, for example, that, that invests across a range of uh renewables, um uh, you know, renewable energy um projects um so there's lots out there there's you know there's lots of choice do you think
0: because these are quite specialized do you think um you have to be careful as to how much maybe of your entire portfolio that you allocate to these sorts of strategies given that that because you're quite focused into a particular nuanced sector then that can imply you know a bit more risk is that fair
1: you, yes. I mean, I think investors are protected because the income level is quite high. Um, so, you know, six or seven in, percent in some cases, as I say, you've got this God. natural inflation protection. And actually, until recently, they haven't had a very good time. You know, they'd, they'd had a slightly rubbishy year. So, you know, some of them are on discounts or at the very least you know they're sort of um you know they're they're trading at par (laughs) probably we should probably talk about what that um what that means in a bit more detail but um but essentially it means that you that the share price is lower than the net asset value of the underlying assets in the in the trust um so actually it doesn't look like an awful time to invest in these in these stocks but you know as always you know you need a diversified portfolio and um and putting all your eggs in one basket is just really bad news um I would say however you know people have cheerfully put 40 percent in fixed income uh in their portfolios and you know fixed income mm. looks like a really tough place to invest at the moment and while I would never say you know put 40% in infrastructure or whatever it it looks better than that at the moment mm. and um, and so you know I, I wouldn't be too um what's the word wouldn't be too cautious mm.
0: Yeah Do you know what? yes I yeah that's a good point actually um I mean with another thing about bonds is that we you know we we're at the end of a 30 year you know positive run basically for them and when you think about any market that's kind of run for 30 years you might be a bit nervous and as you say you're you're, yeah. you're suddenly putting enormous slugs into into an asset class that that has those sorts of risks associated especially when we're seeing inflation potentially mm. it could hit double digits you know um, it's- and, you know, and
1: interestingly, the um, you know, interest rates are still rising. I mean, there, there have been a thought that, you know, with the cost of living crisis and um, energy prices rising that, you know, central banks around the world might sort of scale back a bit on interest rate rises, but that really doesn't, you know, there really no sign of that in the recent announcements from the, you know, the Bank of England or the Federal Reserve. So you know interest rates are going up and that that's typically a really bad environment for bonds as well
0: i think just to um just to go back to your point about um where where shares are trading at with investment trusts um premiums and discounts is is what you're you're commonly see and that's because as i said because it's a it's a fixed amount of assets okay so the the managers of the trust go out there they raise a certain amount of money say 100 million pounds and then they have that to invest and then the shares to that trust trade separately on an exchange and if you um so that means that the value of those shares can rise above the value of the assets or fall below the value of the assets i think it's probably the best way to describe that um and that doesn't happen in open ended funds they're always equal to the to the value of the assets whereas investment trusts cuz these two things are kind of separate then you can get periods of time in certain sectors where you see trusts you know where their shares trading at a premium that's usually when lots of buyers really really want those those particular um, trusts, and then you can get other times when they when they fall to a discount, and that might be because those particular assets in those trusts are are not as desirable, and people are, are selling the shares. Um, so I think it's one of these nuances of investment trusts. It does make them a bit more complex when you're trying to understand how they work. Um, I mean, have a look; you'll you'll you you'll sort of get a feel for it. I think. Um, I think the important thing to remember is that depending on the sector within investment trusts some some sectors always trade at a discount and and others are more likely to go to a premium it's just the nature of the assets within within those trusts and actually usually how liquid those assets are are a bit of of a determinant of that so when you're looking at whether or not to buy or, or, or uh, you know, buy something in, and whether it's premium and discount is is good value or not, then I'd say look at the general averages across those sectors and, and a little bit into the history of that and then you're going to get a good idea of, of whether they're good value. Do you think that's a fair way of describing that, Cherry?
1: Yeah, actually, and um, I would say Hargreaves Lansdowne, uh, other platforms are available, but <laughs> Hargreaves Lansdowne does do these little charts which show the historic... Um, uh discount so you can see whether you know actually it may be on a 10% trust maybe on a 10% discount but it's always been there it's always been at that level so you can see whether it's sort of anomalous to its to its history so you know that's quite useful
0: okay well on that note as always very very good to speak to you Cherry um thanks for joining me on the pod
1: not at all absolute pleasure
0: Well, great to speak to Cherry Raynard there. hope you enjoyed the interview. Um, Don't forget the Get Investing magazine. It is out now. You can find it on our website at stepstoinvesting.com. So please go there and have a look and also all of our review pages and anything else. Of course, send me an email if you've got uh, any questions or if you have any topics that you would like. Addressed in the show, we were sort of really eager to sort of speak to the things that you would like to hear. So um, do drop us a line if you've if you've got some topics. But aside from all of that, I do hope you have a very lovely Easter break. Uh, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>